Welcome back to AR Zone on the issue of intersectionality. Brief interviews ahead of the Pro Intersectionality Vegan Conference being held at VegFest London in October 2016. I'm AR Zone founder Carolyn Bailey, and I'm joined for these special podcasts by Christopher Sebastian. In our next episode of our series on intersectionality, Sebastian and I are very pleased to welcome our guest, Dawn Moncrief. Dawn, a social justice advocate for more than 20 years, is the founder and executive director of the non-profit organisation, A Well-Fed World. She holds master's degrees in both international relations and women's studies from George Washington University, both with a focus on economic development. Among other things, her work highlights how high levels of animal product consumption exacerbate global hunger, especially for women and children. Dawn, thanks so much for joining us today and welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Hey, Don. <laughs> hey, Sebastian. <laughs> for our listeners who may not be familiar with it, Dawn, would you please briefly describe your work at A Well-Fed World? Sure. Uh, we are based in Washington, D.C. in the United States. We are a hunger relief and animal protection organization, chipping away at two of the world's most immense, unnecessary, and unconscionable forms of suffering, and that's the suffering of humans from lack of food and the suffering of animals used and abused for food. So we're a vegan hunger relief organization, and we work through a global grants program. So that may be um, interesting to a lot of your listeners. We do provide global grants for vegan work, and that can either be vegan feeding programs. So we promote and support financially vegan feeding and farming programs, especially to feed people in need in low-income communities and low-income countries but even also more broadly. We support farmed animal sanctuaries that are vegan, and then we also support and uh, do our own vegan outreach and advocacy, and in particular for a well-fed world and for me, focusing on the hunger connections and uh, with that the climate connections. So uh, like a lot of people, I I wanted to work on global hunger issues. I was very affected by the uh, Ethiopian famine in particular, and I thought, well, I was vegetarian and vegan, but I, I couldn't impose that on others. But then once I learned about the issue and how meat consumption actually exacerbates and makes worse global hunger issues, then it all pulled together. And uh, that's what started as Plants for Hunger as a campaign when I was just working on it on my own and then became a well-fed world when we were able to incorporate as a nonprofit organization. Don, would you would you please expand on the notion that the consumption of animal products affects global hunger and why it's women and children who are affected the most? Yeah, um, well, one of the reasons I focus um, on women and children is because like we were talking about earlier that um, my my second master's degree was in women's studies. And so that was the time I was becoming vegan and learning about the connections. And so um, I also was starting to understand the ways in which hunger disproportionately affects women and girls, uh, which is the case often with most social ills because there's there's gender biases that are, are built into to most societies. So when it comes to hunger, women and girls uh, receive less food. So that's, that's pretty much across the board anytime there's scarcity that, that women and girls are going to receive less. And it's not just less because, you know, maybe some of us are smaller or not, but it's it's proportionately less. So so women and girls are more undernourished, not just receive less food. So anytime there's scarcity, females are going to be uh, disproportionately harmed by that. And um, 
the women and mothers in particular are, are expected to make sacrifices. And this is even when pregnant and nursing. So which, of course, this directly hurts children. Uh, many of them start off in the world malnourished and underweight uh, when you're dealing with poor countries. Uh, you know, people tend to think of women as primarily preparers of food, but don't realize that in low-income countries and rural communities, a lot of times women are actually the primary producers of food and working those farms and uh, maintaining the, the farms. So if, if there's hunting involved or working with larger animals, that tends to fall along gender lines to, more to men. But the smaller animals and um, maintaining plant-based farming and stuff, a lot of that uh, falls on, on women. Um, there's two ways in which meat consumption hurts hurts women in low-income countries. So on the one hand, if meat companies are coming in, so you have these huge agribusiness corporations, factory farms coming in um, under either land grabs or land leases or just kind of uh, under the guise that they're going to help feed local people and help uh, alleviate hunger in the area, you'll have these big factory farms coming in and it's uh, destructive to the local environment, but it's also economically destructive to small-scale farming. And it also does a power shift because if women are controlling the food because they're, they're doing the farming and, and things of that nature, um, and then that's undermined by the economics of these big farms coming in, but also it pulls it into more of a labor system. And when it's a labor system, it's usually men who are going off, and now they're controlling the money. And just as a pretty consistent pattern, when women are in control of food or money, it's better off for food security within the family and within the, the larger community. So uh, that's one of the ways in which uh, eating meat harms women. Second way that uh, meat consumption in, in wealthier countries impacts women in low-income countries and, and people more generally, but again, we're also speaking specifically about women and children, but Meat consumption puts upward pressure on food prices, and this is basic supply and demand. Uh, we do have information about that on our website at awfw.org, so I'm not going to get into heavy supply and demand. But basically, if you have um, an increased demand with a relatively rate, um, stable supply, that increase of demand is going to put upward pressure on food prices, and that's what meat does. Animals raise for food, eat much more food than if we feed people directly. Most of your listeners probably already know this. Sometimes it's put out there in simple terms that, oh, if people ate this much less meat, we would be able to feed the world hungry. And it's not that simple. That is a good example for scale to show you know, how much waste is happening, um, feeding food uh, and crops to animals instead of feeding people directly. But we know that the food system and hunger is very complicated. It doesn't work that way. But it is a lot um, poverty-based um, because we're in a capitalist system. So what meat does do in a tangible sense is that it puts upward pressure on food prices because the, the producers would rather sell to livestock industry to feed pigs and cows and chickens than to people who are poor because they can make more money. So if we were to reduce some of that demand, it would it could uh, put some downward pressure. And there's also, um, and so therefore it's more in the reach. And anytime you're dealing with, again, um, poverty issues and scarcity, women are going to be the ones that are, are hurt most and, um, and, and girls. So that is just some of the, the ways. And again, that is very complicated. There's more to it than supply and demand. There's speculation and, and all kinds of other things. But that's just the, the basic concept. And that also, I, I should distinguish that this is, then we're talking about urban poverty. So high food prices can help 
rural farmers by giving them um, higher prices for their food, but only if they have access to the markets. So when we're talking about lower food prices, that's helpful to to urban consumers in, in low-income communities and low-income countries. Um, just briefly, though, I wanted to mention a general statistic about global hunger, and that is that it's about a 60-40 divide. So about 60% of world hunger that is counted is are, are women and 40% are men. And when I first saw that number, I was like, wow, it actually, that's less than I had really thought. I thought it was a bigger divide. But then when I thought about it, it's actually 50% more. So if you have 10 people and four are men and six are women, that's actually 50% more women are hungry than men. So that number is, is a little deceptive. It's actually quite quite a bit bigger. And um, just to make everybody a little bit depressed, children, um, children under five, we have about 3 million dying of hunger and hunger-related diseases and causes per year. So that is huge. So basically, they're just not surviving childhood because they're so undernourished. And um, that's more than 350 per hour. And that's every day, every hour. And it's not on the news because it's not new. It's, it's standard. And for adults, um, including children and adults, the number's more around 9 million which puts it close to a thousand every hour globally just dying. And um, I, I want to talk about just super quick since this is intersectional, the racial makeup um, is, is very important on this. So um, out of the most concentrated areas of global hunger, seven out of 10 of the most concentrated um, countries are on the African continent. And then um, one of the other ones is, is Haiti. So you've got eight out of 10 of the countries are, are dealing with black populations. And, you know, there's definitely a racial bias to this. And that's one of the things that, you know, we try to, to bring up um, a little bit at the intersectional conferences in particular. Now, just absolute number wise, it's actually um, more in Asia, because there's India and China and Asian countries have a greater number of people who are hungry. But the percentage of the population is higher um, in Africa extensively. Thank you so much, Dawn. There's so much there to think about. Whenever we discuss these issues, I always come back to the fact that as vegans, we often use slogans like, you know, it's easy to live vegan. But for so many people around the world, it's not. And mm -hmm. there's just that there, there are so many different circumstances and so many different communities and different people around the world that we, we, we rarely give much thought to when we're talking about about veganism and veganism being easy. And I, I just think that, that the work you're doing is so incredibly important in, in bringing this sort of awareness to us as vegans. Thank you. Well, I'm really just so thrilled to be able to even work on these issues and work with the amazing activists that I, I get to work with and, and meet the people on the ground. So a, a lot of the work we do is at computers and researching and, and doing advocacy kind of, you know, from a little bit of a distance. And the people on the ground doing doing the work day and night are just, just blow my mind. Dawn, you mentioned something that I often hear vegans make claims about, that if the world goes vegan, it will cure world hunger. Of course, that's not the case. That's not going to happen. Can you elaborate on your thoughts on that, please? Hi, I'm Dawn Moncrief. I'm a vegan. I work on hunger issues. 
going vegan will not solve world hunger. It's a very complicated process. The problem that's been going on as long as is history, there's many forces against solving world hunger. There's many people trying to, to work on it. Dealing with the, the animal agriculture and the pushing of the factory farming systems and pushing up meat consumption, that absolutely has to be part of the equation. We're not going to make significant progress. You know, we're not going to be able to solve world hunger if animal agriculture is not addressed and significantly reduced, hopefully eliminated. So, again, we're, we're vegan, but, I mean, just, I'm just speaking practically from a global hunger perspective. Hunger could be cured even if the world's not vegan, but it's not going to be alleviated and solved if the, if we're working at the kind of levels we are. But a purely vegan world is not going to address the, the income inequalities. It's not going to address the, the fact that uh, food is used as a political tool to keep communities powerless and to keep them struggling. You know, there's there's benefits to power elites to having an impoverished communities to some extent because then they can't, they, they don't have the energy or the resources to rise up against them. So there's uh, lots, lots to the problem, uh, but absolutely uh, for individuals and communities who care about solving world hunger, uh, the, being vegan is one of the best things you can do. It's not one of the great motivators for people, but for again, for people who do care about it, it should be on, on their list of, of things to do to make it better, to take the pressure off the food system, to stop literally pulling resources away from the world's poorest of the poor. You have people in low-income countries who are growing crops that are used as, as feed for people in, in foreign countries or maybe their own domestic elite while they go hungry. And uh, that's a, it's a very real problem. Again, that was happening uh, back in the 80s during the Ethiopian famine. They were growing crops that were being used for livestock while their own people were starving. So, and I don't use the word starving lightly. I really like to distinguish between hunger and hunger-related causes, but some people are actually starving, and certainly during the Ethiopian famine, people were literally starving to death. So this has uh, been going on for a long time. It is a standard problem, and um, to, for just uh, for vegans who are going to talk about the hunger issues, to speak intentionally and with nuance, that this does have tangible impact. Uh, if you're talking about it in terms of scale, be specific about that, but don't ever claim that going vegan is going to cure world hunger. Here, here. Yeah, absolutely. Dawn, thank you so much for spending your time with us today and speaking with us about such important issues. I'd also like to take this opportunity to thank you for everything that you're continuing to do on behalf of both humans and other animals. Thank you. Thank you again for having me on. You're so welcome. All right, so that's the wrap. I nailed it on the first page. Am I dead a thing to me? Why don't eat red meat or white fish? Don't give me no blue cheese. We're all members of...